Welcome to Brighton Bible with the Tully Adventures Explore. It's a good day for some good news. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. That's Jesus' good news to us in John 16, 33. As we face this new day and all it has for us, we find courage and hope in the only trustworthy words available. Tully Adventures Explore the Bible. This morning we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Looking forward to discussing this one. It's got some interesting, <laughs> interesting things to try to deal with, especially in our times and the ways that we think about life. So Jennifer, what is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? One through three. All right. Jumping out at me. First thing I want you to do is pray. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. Yeah. Ooh, and then we get into some let's, tough stuff. Let's start, let's okay. start there for now. The first thing I want you to do, not try everything you know and uh, then come and pray. <laughs> yes. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, it hurts. Not exhaust yourself. And when you're falling out, come see me. <laughs> Not rack your brain until you have a migraine. Ooh. Not get so mad at your partner you want to strangle them. But the first thing I want you to do is pray. <laughs> Ask me how I know. <laughs> okay, so pray every way you know how for everyone you know. So growing up... <clears throat> Catholic, there were very specific prayers that we prayed, and we prayed them over and over and over. It was a repetitive thing. And um, when I met you, you showed me a different way, which was having a conversation with God where I could say bad words and I could yell and I could be mad, and I wasn't going to go to hell if I got mad at God. Um, yeah, that was that was a change. So pray every way you know how, whatever that is. So if that's pre-written prayers, if that's reading a prayer, if that's talking to God, whatever the case is. Um, oh, also, I grew up praying in silence. Uh -huh. And you prayed out loud. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it was just a very different experience for me. And so now I certainly am not afraid to pray out loud. In fact, I will pray out loud in public. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will get my prayer on wherever I'm at. Excellent. Um, anyway, this next bit is a little painful. Um, pray especially for rulers and their governments to rule well. So we can be quietly about our business of living simply in humble contemplation. And then just to give it that stamp of approval, as though that were not enough, we just reach out and slap you with, this is the way our Savior God wants us to live. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so what is, what is painful about this particular section? It feels like, so all feelings, no facts. Right. Yeah. It feels like we're in a time where everybody's just shaking their fist at 
at government at the government, particularly of the U.S., but of all governments, it seems like, mm-hmm. which is probably not the accurate truth, but you know, feels like it right now. Sure, that's what we're being told and what's being yeah. shown to us. And this, um, I've come across many people who have this idea that, um, you know. The other party, so whatever they're not a party to, mm-hmm. is the evil one or the Antichrist that's come to you know end the world. And the thing is, is that number one, we don't have control over any of that. Mm-hmm. And two, we're reminded often, pray for your rulers and their government. Because not our job to just shake our fists at people. Ooh, come on. I mean, we certainly get to have our emotions, but that's not, that's certainly not living in humble contemplation, mm-hmm. calling people names, and especially the people that are trying to run the government. You know, even if we don't agree with the, the way they're doing it, um, they have been given an enormous responsibility one that I certainly personally could not handle. The lives of millions and millions of people are under their rule, I mm-hmm. guess. Mm-hmm. And so, um, <laughs> I'm not saying I don't ever get upset, I don't ever get sure. angry with things that the government does. Sure. Um, but when if I only know them by their sins, mm-hmm. then I'm saying it's okay to only know me by my sins. Ooh, come on now. And I don't want to be known for that. Now we're getting into the real, the real stuff. Yeah, they are still human. They still hurt. They still bleed. They still, but they have all this pressure. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating to me the time frame that we're in. Um, I'd like to start by saying thank you for sharing all of that and how this particular section gets to you. I'm interested in, I believe the Catholic Church does the Lord's Prayer, which starts out with, Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, may your kingdom come and your will be done. And no matter how we pray, The goal is to remind ourselves, to tell ourselves, God exists, God is working everything out for good. And that releases us from this pressure of needing to fix it ourselves, and also this pressure of needing to find another human being to blame. And it's so easy in the United States to blame the president, because that's the person who we see the most. We don't often think, What about the congressmen and the senators and the House of Representatives and all these other people? What about the the judges in the judiciary branch? What about all these other people who are making some of these laws that we're so upset by, and yet we're not trying to get to them to say, hey, this is what we, the people, really want, because here in the U.S., that's part of what we get to do. But it's so easy to just sit back and say, you know what, it's just that person's fault. I'm going to blame them. That's going to make me feel better. And we've talked about this a lot on this journey that we're going through on this podcast. Um, Blaming people doesn't actually help us. And if all we're getting is that that feel-good for a moment, that, that 
hit of pleasure, that hit of feel good that says I'm not to blame, it's actually immaturity. It's an addiction to a drug because that dopamine that the brain gives us is actually our drug of choice. Mm -hmm. And we're just chasing that feeling. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't put trust or faith in God. It doesn't allow God to work and be glorified. It just gives us a little bit of feel good. And that's an immature way to go about life. And yet, <laughs> especially if you go on to social media or you listen to the news or any of these things, that's exactly what they're doing. They're giving us the most immature way of dealing with life. We're not responsible for anything. It's somebody else's fault. We get to blame them. And it is interesting that in America, there were four years of a president who tweeted everything and was out on social media and we were so polarized and interested and so connected to, like it seemed like everyone was so connected to politics that we weren't really paying attention to a lot of other things. Which, like you pointed out, isn't actually true. It just feels like that on social media. It just feels like that when we're not actually talking to other human beings, which over the last year and a half plus now, we haven't been able to talk to other human beings <laughs> or we've talked to the same two people or one person for a year and a half. And <laughs> yeah, the other thing ahead. is that, you know, it's so easy to get sucked up into the algorithms of social media. Yes. Meaning, you know, if I get angry, let's say at one thing that the president does mm. and I try to dig deep into that one thing, on one side, mm -hmm. maybe I just look up one or two things, and then next month I look up one or two more things, but it's all in the same side. Yeah. Before I know it, my whole social media has shifted to that viewpoint. Sure. The people I'm seeing are sucked into it, and so if you are not out look, talking to people, it would be easy to believe that that is how the world is. It's another thing about dealing with information impersonally. Yeah. When you talk to another human being, you actually have to interact with how that human being is feeling and saying it and their body movements. There's something alive and there is the difficulty of dealing with this actually matters to a living human being. Yes. Whereas when you're online, you can just, and so many people have talked about this, you can just, it's just information. It's just words in a text. It's there's no connection to actual human feeling and you can read those words however you want and misinterpret them however you want and then respond back however you want without considering that you're actually dealing with human beings there's no danger when you're dealing with an actual human being face to face there's the danger of that person could reject you that person could physically let you know that this is not okay to talk about and not okay to talk about this way. You have to respect the danger that's involved. And when there's no danger, yeah, we find out people just, man, they go crazy. When they don't think there's going to be a consequence or the consequence isn't immediate, immature people do whatever they want. So it's, it's a fascinating time and... 
I know there are so many people talking about how social media affects us and the social dilemma and all of these, you know, how the internet has disconnected us and all of that. And there are people trying to point out that it also connects us, which it can, and sometimes it does, but it's still not the same as being physically in the presence of another human being and having to deal with the consequences of your actions and what they might do if you say certain things or do certain things. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting to me is as we look at who is God and how do we interact with God, if we really believed that God was with us all the time and that our what we're saying, what we're typing, our actions not only are important to God, but have eternal consequences. Um, if we looked at people as eternal beings who for the rest of eternity, not just a short lifespan, not just the five minutes that they're with us, but for the rest of eternity, their being is changed by what we do to them. That puts a little more emphasis and pressure on us considering our actions before we take them. And it's interesting because in the first chapter of First Timothy, Paul talked about, you know, there are some people who are religious and it's easy for them to be moral and be ethical and live up to these standards. And there are other people who they <laughs> push against that. They push against the rules. They push against tradition and society and culture and whatever else there is. And there's value to them too. And it brings me back to we live in that tension between these dichotomies. And God is that perfect integrity that holds no matter which tension is pulling. But we as human beings are constantly being pulled in all these different directions. And so we have to be aware of how that affects us and what that does to us. Yeah. So... I love it that the purpose of prayer, bringing it back, let me pull it all back around to the purpose of prayer is to say, there is a God. God exists. God is making all things work together for good. And we are at war against ideas and the pressure of the people who have been pulled out too far in one direction the things those people are doing to try to pull others too far out in that direction, whether it's towards feminism or masculinism or scientism or ignoranceism or whatever it is. And we see all of those things playing out. We see all of the dichotomies playing out. There are people who think who want to pull you towards beauty. All of these are good things. All of these things have value. But to move too far towards any of them is when things become problematic. And so we have to pray so that we can remind ourselves that center of being is what we're going for. When that kingdom is here on earth, that's when there will be all the things that we actually want. That's when there will be peace, love, joy, Patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. That's when people will interact with each other with love. Because it's not, well, you need to get to my cause. Or you need to be more like me. Or do things my way. Do things how I do them. We let go of all of that. We die to ourselves when, and I think only when, 
God is that driving force that we're moving towards. Because nothing else can carry the weight of us worshiping a thing. When we worship feminism, there's no space for men to be to exist. You get to a point where masculinity is toxic because you're worshiping the feminine. There's no space for masculinity. And so men become women. Women then have to take on the responsibilities and things that the men have to do because there's no space for men. Men are bad. Men are toxic. And we're worshiping feminism to the point where women have to carry all things. And that's not how we were created and it's not what we're supposed to do. It actually breaks us. It hurts us. And we can fight that all we want, but the further we're pulled out towards any of these directions, masculinity is not supposed to carry any of that weight either. And we've seen how that falls apart because we went through the world wars. We saw what happened when there was not enough empathy and concern, and we put too much, too many restrictions onto Germany. And then Germany said, we're not going to live like that. And then we had another world war. And so we've seen the terrible problem of masculinity being worshipped or in charge. And now we're, we've flown the other way. And now we're seeing the, the ill effects of femininity being too much worshipped and in charge. When we put our hope in either mom or dad, we're going to be disappointed because they're just human beings. When we put our hope in any of these ways that human beings miss the mark of God's perfect integrity we're going to have pain and unnecessary pain. I think that's the saddest part. Um, my hot take for this moment. <laughs> so once again, Jennifer does not agree <laughs> with what I have to say, but my hot take is as we've been worshiping femininity since I'm going to go with the end of the second world war, which would put us right around 1950, we, and possibly even before that, and it's a slow thing. It's not like we, everything drastically changes and suddenly you see the fullness of worshiping this thing. No, it's a very slow change and it takes years, sometimes decades, as we worship it to go further and further away from the center. And of course, if we're far on the masculine side, as we worship femininity, you got to come back through and just let that pendulum swing and you go through all these different things and then you finally get out here to where you're beyond what, what any of these dichotomies can hold. They don't any longer hold our hope. They don't any longer hold our belief. And so now we're seeing, you know, men who are trying to be women. We're worshiping this femininity. Women who are trying to do what the what men used to do because men are bad toxic masculinity and you see homosexuality come out of that you see transgender come out of that you see this brokenness in young men because there's no place for them in society their their strength their their capability isn't valued or valuable and I think that's why we have someone like Jordan Peterson leading this charge of young men 
becoming motivated to take responsibility because for so long they've been told they don't get to have it. We've seen the Oedipal mother play out who's going to take care of everyone so much that they can't even take care of themselves. And what happens when the Oedipal mother is no longer there to take care of things? The people don't know how to live or what to do. They don't have the strength or courage to do what's necessary. And so we're, we're, I think we're coming to the end of this worshiping femininity, this feminism. What's interesting is how there's also a layer of complexity because there are so many different people. And so while there are some people who are worshiping femininity or a culture is worshiping femininity, there's also other groups, pockets of people who are still, there's actually a remnant who are still worshiping God. And so let's not ever forget that. That still exists. And we can be reminded of that through stories from the Bible when the prophets would get so upset. God, why are we even doing this? Why are we holding anyone accountable? There's no one who even loves you anymore. And God responds to them with, there is still a remnant. There is still a group of people who are worshiping God and worshiping rightly and learning how to live simply because they are praying every day. But there are other groups who are running off to scientism. We're worshiping science. We're claiming that science is going to save us. And now we're seeing the end of that as people are flat earthing and every other kind of way that we're moving away from science as a God or a religion. And I think that we're coming to the end of the feminism movement because we've figured out that feminism cannot carry the, the weight and the worship, our belief and our hope. And so to me, non-binary stands out as the end of the equality movement. Equality means that these two things, apples and oranges, masculinity and femininity, these two things that aren't actually the same should be equal. And non-binary says, since you cannot make these things equal, we're just going to say that there is nothing, there is no difference. There is no binary difference. There's just this homogenous goo. And I thank God for all of these movements because they are a human response to worshiping the wrong thing. Scientism comes out of People worshiping ignorance. Ignorance is bliss, man. It When you don't know what's going on, when you don't have all that information in your hand all the time, it's nice. It's comfortable. Yeah, go ahead, my love. Thank you. I've been talking a lot, so I'm looking forward to what you have to say to all of this. In the midst of the ongoing battle of vaccination or not right now, mm. COVID or not, mm -hmm. whatever you believe, um, whatever part of that spectrum you are at. Um, what did you just say? It sparked a thought and now it's leaving me. So we've, we've stopped the worship of science. Scientism is the worship of science, this hope and belief that science can save us. It'll save us from dying. It'll save us from being in pain. It'll save us from, it all for me comes back to these inner vows. We make these inner vows that say, I'm never going to be hurt the same way that this hurt me. Right. So then we, ignorance hurt me because if I had just had more information, this is a lie, but right. we believe it. If I had right. just had more information, 
then I would have made a better decision. Right. And what we figured out, uh, we have all this information at our fingertips and we're not making better decisions. Ignorance is bliss. That's yes. what I that's what I was hung up on. Um, okay. Okay, so in the midst of all of this vaccination and COVID stuff, mm -hmm. um, I think it's a great example of, of seeing that happen. Um, the ignorance is bliss part. We've talked many times about, you know, in years past, um, when we didn't have access to all that information, basically this would have happened. The president would have gotten on TV, right? Uh -huh. It would have played on all three channels. <laughs> so we're talking about like the 1960s, 19, 1950s, 1970s, 1970s, any time bef between, yeah, yeah there's 60s, about a 30 year period where 50s, 60s. you had about three channels on TV. Yeah. The so, president would have gotten up and what and, would and would have said, look, we have this problem and here's what we're going to do. I need you all to gather up, go to these places and get your shots. We're going to make this simple. <laughs> uh -huh. You just need to go and, and we'll handle it. Uh, for our kids that are in school, we'll just handle it while they're at school. Right. And, and that's how it would have been handled. And most people wouldn't have thought twice about it. They and, would have just they would have just done it. And three months later, this whole thing would be quote unquote done, mm -hmm. and we'd be mm -hmm. talking about, hey, do you remember when we had to all get shots? Oh yeah, that happened, and right? we're done with it. Um, this actually is how it used to be played out, and you know, if you have that weird little scar right there on your arm <laughs> uh -huh. from where they came around and gave you those shots, yeah. Um, but it, it, it would not have been a thing. And so, you know, yes, we have access to all this information, but, you know, some things are better, but not everything. It's not a replacement for anything. Right. So it's like, I think you're right. I think we just generally swing, you know, the pendulum swings one way. We're like all empathetic or, and then it swings back to, we don't care what you have to say. This is what has to happen to, I care how everybody, like. So what are you talking about? You're talking about, so you, you gave this example of how it used to be. Mm -hmm. What were we worshiping then as a society, as a culture? Um, in the U.S. at that time, I'm thinking generally we were worshiping our own country. Coming out of World War II, we were worshiping our own country. Until we got to... Um, but why would we do what the president said? That's what I'm asking you. Uh, why would people hear the president say, do this, and actually go do it? The president at that time was... I don't think it, it depends on who the president was. What do you think it is? I think we were still in that transition from tyrannical authority, mm -hmm. which we didn't want to have anymore, mm -hmm. The, that's the worship of the masculine, the worship of the father, to the point of the tyrannical father. We were transitioning over to trusting mom. And what do we trust moms with more than anything? Our feelings. Our feelings, yeah. Which means if I have a boo-boo, do I run to dad? No. Who do I run to? Mom. So mom's the authority, and that's the word I really want to come back to, is authority on... Fixing up our boo-boos, making us feel better. 
And so what you're talking about is, to me, and once again, I could be wrong. I might be trying too hard to make this fit a paradigm, a theory that I already have, in which case it's going to fall apart at some point, and that's okay. But I really do think that we were worshiping the authority of mom. Mom who's going to heal us. Mom who's going to take care of our boo-boos. Mom who's going to make us feel better. Mom who's going to take care of us when we're sick. And so we still trusted that authority. We didn't trust the male authority. We were afraid of it. Male authority had taken us into war. Male, male authority had taken us into um, the loss of life and all of the pain and hurt that came from the world wars. But we did want to trust the female authority. What's interesting is, yes, all the presidents were still, were still males, but that doesn't mean we were worshiping male authority. And that's one of the reasons it's so interesting right now that we're in this non-binary idea, because we've seen how it's still, can, this worship of the feminine can come from male or female. This worship of if you want to call it feminine qualities, or what we hope for, the ideal. Because that's what I'm talking about here, is not every mom is the kind of mom who will bandage up your boo-boos and make you feel better. There are plenty of moms who don't do that. But when we create an ideal as human beings of what a mom is supposed to be, she's supposed to be the compassionate one. She's supposed to be the, not, not even compassionate, she's supposed to be empathetic. To the point of, I'm the only thing that exists in her world and she's going to patch me up and heal me and take away my sickness and nurse me through what I'm dealing with. That's how we idealize a mom. And no mom lives up to that because all moms are human beings. But the authority that you're talking about was still a feminine authority, in my opinion, because it's our worship of someone who's going to heal us. We're going to heal you from this trauma of this world war. We're going to heal you from, and that doesn't mean war's not happening. It doesn't mean I can see your eyes. You're trying to look for the outliers where this isn't true. I'm speaking in generals. No, I'm just actually processing what you're saying. Oh, fantastic. Well, there I was getting all defensive. Forgive me. What I did was wrong. I'm sorry. So we're... It was still the worship of the feminine. It was still the worship of the ideal mom. But the problem that we have as we look at this process is, well, why, did, why doesn't it fall apart quickly? Or why doesn't it appear quickly? There's a transition time. And there's a whole area within this circle where the, the ideal mom is a good thing. That mom who's empathetic, who hears your, your pain and your crying and your suffering and gives you a hug and holds you and puts a band-aid on your boo-boo and does these things that are so helpful, why wouldn't we want that when our men had come back from war with PTSD and they were all messed up? Of course we want someone who's going to heal our dad so they can be dad and also heal our boo-boos while we're hurting. And that's what's happening in that time frame. And then what of course happens is when you give power, power corrupts, and so you just keep running, you keep worshiping that thing until it breaks, until it can't carry the weight anymore. And so we just kept worshiping femininity, and now we're seeing it fall apart. And I actually think that we decided to start worshiping other things. We're seeing 
kind of the last falling out of feminism, or maybe it's already passed and I'm just unaware of it. Because we also then have to find something else to worship. But of course, there's a remnant of people who still worship whatever it was that they were worshiping before. So we'll never say that feminism is dead because there are always people who are willing to follow or worship at the feet of the divine feminine to the loss of all the rest of these good things. And there's always people who will worship the masculine, worship the childlike. I mean, <laughs> for so long we've called ourselves a youth culture in America. We're so concerned with what the youth are doing and how they can give us some more energy so we can keep doing. And even when we, you know, <laughs> kicked, kicked England out of here, had our little whole uh, a three-year-old temper tantrum and said, Mom and Dad don't get to help us anymore. We needed the explorers. We needed a culture that was based on going out and exploring and finding and fixing things ourselves and doing things ourselves. And we were the cowboys. Well, now we're in a time when our culture is changing again from do we really want the personality type of our country for males to be cowboys, for women to be homesteaders. And obviously we haven't been doing that for a long time. Cowboy movies have even, you can't really find a movie with cowboys unless they're fighting aliens. <laughs> so, you know, we haven't, we haven't held on to that idea as what our culture is supposed to be for a long time. And now we're at that point where we're even going so far against that, that any explorer is thought of as a bad person because of other things they had to do. We don't honor the exploration because what happens at the end of the exploration? Well, according to Christopher Columbus, according to the, the, the indigenous people of all of these lands, at the end of the exploration comes the conquering and all of that. Well, what's sad is, yeah, the explorers might do some of that, but it takes a conqueror it takes a switching of hats. It might even still be the same person, but it takes a switching of hats. We're not, we're not going for the exploration anymore. We're going for the conquering. We're going for getting whatever we can from these people or this land or whatever it is. But we don't, to me, we don't make those distinctions when we're worshiping the feminine because what the feminine wants and what you see at the the Oedipal mother, where it's tyrannical, where it goes too far, is I'm going to take so much care of everyone and everything that, once again, they're not even capable of going out and doing these things. Well, exploration is the antithesis of that. It's, it's the scariest thing that you could ever say to an Oedipal mother. We're, we want to encourage people to go out on their own and explore. The Oedipal mother is going to fight against that tooth and nail. No, no, no. I can take care of everybody. I can do enough to, to take care of everyone. No one needs to go out and explore. No one needs to go anywhere and do anything. And so to me, that's all we're seeing with all of these rights and all of these other things with non-binary, with the ignorance movement back to flat earthers and, you know, science is bad with, with all of these things. I thank God for all of it because it's just a signal that 
this thing that we were trying to worship as a group of human beings, as a society, as a culture, we figured out that it can't bear the burden of our worship. It's not going to save us. And that's what brings us back to God. Yes, my love. What I think I hear you saying is that by worshiping either the overly done masculinity or the overly done femininity, we're devaluing both. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Because we're, one side is saying the other is um, immaterial, while the other side says the same thing about them. Right. Um, and the only thing in the middle is God. Correct. And what happens when you worship something too much? It falls apart. It can't bear that burden. Right. So think about what happened when you were a child and you found out that your parents weren't perfect. Oh. Yeah, it hurt, right? When you find out that your parents cannot bear the weight of your childish worship, you realize the feminine isn't strong enough to carry my worship. The masculine isn't strong enough to carry my worship. Human beings are not strong enough to carry my worship. And of course, that's one of the things that happens in the teenage years. You stop worshiping your parents, and so you have to find something else. Well, in America, particularly, we say, well, worship individuality. Worship your personal ability to make choices. Worship freedom. Worship whatever it is. And the, it's not going to be helpful to do the opposite, you know, because we see places like China and other cultures of that nature where they say, no, don't worship freedom or worship safety. Worship the long tradition. Worship your ancestors. And by doing that, you can have a good life. Well, all of that's still missing the point. God is the only thing that can carry our worship. And cultures can keep trying to worship these different things and hold on for a long time. But even cultures shift because the people recognize this thing I'm trying to worship, this thing that my culture tells me to worship, it can't bear the weight of my worship. It won't actually save me. The government's not going to fix everything. Um, my mom is not going to fix everything. The government that acts like my mom is not going to fix everything. My dad's not going to fix everything. The government that acts, acts like my dad. None of these things can carry our worship. Another human being can't even carry our emotions, much less all of our being. Absolutely. Um, and to carry the beings of the entire world. Right. In one moment? Whew. So it's a lot, and if all this stuff that I've been talking about is helpful to you, then take it. And if it's not, then let it go. There's no reason to hold on to something that is not helping you. Because this might not be for you right this moment, but if it is, more power to you. We talk about these things um, because the, what we do know is that God's at the center. Yes. We know this. Yes. Everything else is ideas and trying to be closer to God and trying to learn so that we can understand better and love better. Yes? Yes. And this all came from the very first verses in this chapter. Pray every way you know how for everyone you know. What's the point of prayer? What's the point of all of life? To answer the question, who is God, and how can I relate to God correctly? 
How do I worship God correctly? God is the only thing that if I put my hope into, I can actually be safe. I mean, I didn't feel safe most of my childhood. And part of it was I didn't have a dad around, and dads tend to make you feel protected until they don't. And then your heart gets broken because your dad wasn't good enough, did their best, and it wasn't good enough. And, you know, so I put a lot of hero worship on my mom. I, I personally, and it was easy because I was in a culture that heroized the female. So, of course, my mom was my hero. Look at her. Look at all the things she's doing. And yet, I was still heartbroken when at my church on Father's Day, my single mom got recognized. It, it didn't work for me. Even as a kid, it didn't make any sense. She's not my dad, and she cannot do for me, particularly as a boy, what only a father could. So, of course, I don't... Of course, I'm heartbroken by gay marriage because I know what it's like to not have a dad. I know what it's like to have a mom who's pretending to be a dad or even being recognized and honored by our society that we were in as a dad. And I know how much it doesn't work. I'm not against those people. I love those people because God loves me even when I'm doing something that's painful. But I'm heartbroken because you're missing out and you're, you're getting other people to miss out on something that's so important. I wish that I had a dad around. And on the one hand, it would have made things better, but on the other hand, it would have made things worse because I would have had to deal with, oh yeah, my dad can't carry the weight of this worship either. But I also can't hear, make my mom a hero because she can't carry the weight of this either. But to just not have a male presence or to just not have a female presence, and I get it. I get all the outliers. I get all of the arguments. Well, what about people who pass away or this or that? I get it. All of it is heartbreaking. All of it misses that, that midpoint what God actually intended for all of us. And yes, what's really sad is, as human beings, the only way we learn is to feel that pain. To feel the pain of missing out on whatever the thing is. So if you want to talk about homosexuality as an idea, then we can have some interesting debates and discussions. But if you want to talk about people or human beings, then I'm going to say the same thing that I say about people who are lying, people who are so empathetic that the truth gets warbly, so truthful that they're not caring enough to people. It's all still missing the mark of what God intended. And so I love the people because I'm a person who sins. I'm a person who misses that perfect integrity that God has. I get pulled in certain directions. I want to worship understanding. If I could just, it's not information, but it's understanding. If I could just understand how things work, what the system is, then I'll be able to fix all of these things that hurt me and break my heart. But that's not true. And the, the more I try to worship understanding, the more it falls apart and doesn't save me. 
And the more I find out that I'm not only hurting still, but I'm hurting more because I've hurt other people by giving them my understanding or my thoughts without being empathetic to them and what they need, without actually building relationships and without worshiping God. What do you, how does that make you feel? What, is, what goes on for you as I throw all of that out there? It's a lot. It is a lot. And once again, if it's helpful, please let it be helpful. And if it's not, just skip it. Let it go. It's okay. There are plenty of things that are not made for me. And there are plenty of things that are not made for you. And maybe what I was just saying wasn't made for you. And that's okay. What do you got, love? What stands out? It's just a lot. It's a very difficult thing to do to separate, from my perspective, mm -hmm. to separate ideas and people. Um, it's very difficult. Um, having grown up being exposed to a huge variety of people, mm -hmm. with a huge variety of needs and wants and lives and likes and dislikes and all of those things. Um, I think what's the most heartbreaking thing to me is watching people be condemned. Yes. Yes. Um, it's just painful. Yes. And I don't know if I have the power to do this, but I'm going to take it on myself right now. I'm going to apologize for the church. Because the church is the people who actually believe in God, and sadly we have plenty of people who claim to be the church, who claim to believe in God, but their actions don't line up with who God really is. And so I want to apologize to every person who's been hurt because people who claim they believe in God did something that was not actually about God. It was about whatever they were personally worshiping that was not God at the time and yeah there's all kinds of stories of people I think we said it um, in the first Timothy one I told a story about a kid a male child who found this doll and made it beautiful and his dad stomped him for it because the dad was worshiping masculinity and so we've all been hurt by people like that and I have too and I'm still learning how to forgive people but I'm with you. I'm with you. It's not, this is not against people. This is against ideas that actually end up breaking people. And I know this because I have my inner vows. I will never be hurt by a woman again the way my mom hurt my dad. The way this girl I dated hurt me. The way, and it doesn't work. I wish it would, but to me, that's, that's the same thing. So I'm not against the people. I think what I pray for is that people will understand that instead of being neither masculine or feminine, that they're actually both, that there are components of, of both things that are necessary. Um, the people who worship ignorance versus the people who worship science. It's, 
exposed. There are things that you don't need to know. <laughs> and there are other things that you probably do need to know. is fascinating having these conversations with you because we do lean towards empathy on my side and brutal truth on your side and I don't mean that as a um, criticism yeah sorry um, at all but both are necessary and the ideal is Jesus Christ. I think what's interesting is not only do we live in these dichotomies, but we also are created as one of them. We're not God. That's the actual that's the actual difficult part. So The purpose of talking about this circle of this dichotomy, each of the dichotomies at the outside of the circle, they're good things, and God at the center, is actually to point out we're not God. We're not at the center. We're not actually even capable of doing what God does, which is holding the integrity right there in the center. We're actually created in the image of God, but not the fullness, which means you're supposed to be a woman who is feminine, who is all of these things. I'm supposed to be a man who is masculine and has some of these other traits. That is a good thing to be created as. And <laughs> and if we are willing to start our prayers with God exists, God is making all things work together for good. May his kingdom come and his will be done, which is the same thing said in two different ways. When God is king, femininity cannot be king. Masculinity cannot be king. Men cannot be king. Women cannot be king. You don't put your hope for protection, for salvation, for right judgment between different parties into any of these things. You put it into God, and what we realize is we're not God. And by realizing we're not God, we can actually celebrate what we are without worshiping it. By saying, thank you, God, for non-binary. Thank you, God, for science. Thank you, God, for equality. Thank you, God, for justice. Not the way we warp it and mess it up. Thank you, God, for men. Thank you, God, for women. Thank you, God, for masculinity. Thank you for femininity. Thank you for what is required of each of those part, those good things that are different and hold tension against each other, but are both good. And when we can do that, we can actually rest in God created me to be male. God created me with testosterone, which gives me a certain... <laughs> functions and capabilities. God created you female. God created you with estrogen, which gives you certain features and capabilities. I can't have a baby. You can't do some of the things that I can do. And I wish I had some very specific thing because I think that's one of the places where it falls apart. But the best part is we're comparing apples to oranges. It's not supposed to be the same. 
And when we can worship God as the center and know that we're out here moving towards the center, we can only move towards the center together. We need the help of that which is other than us, opposite us, to draw us both to the center. And that's why I love these verses. In 8 through 10, Paul tells Timothy, What I want mostly is for men to pray. You know how difficult that is? Not shaking, shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. That's so difficult, because what do we all want to do? We want to blame somebody, then we're, as men we're going to go fight them, and when we win, then we can dominate, and once we dominate, we can bring order to this world, and then everything will be right. No, that's worshiping masculinity. And here's, here's where it's so painful and difficult if you don't understand the context of what's going on here. Verses 11 through 15, I don't let women take over and tell the men what to do. Whoa, that's a tough one to deal with. But here's part of where, what we've been built for. Men are to bear that responsibility. Not, I have rights, I get to marry this woman and she's going to submit to me. No, 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 not I'm dominating. And that's the whole point of the verses 8 through 10. Not shaking angry fists at enemies, men pray. Stop claiming that your wife is the problem, pray. Realize that you're not lining up with what God has created you to be and do, and you're harming your spouse because you're harming your wife because you're trying to be a tyrant. And on the same note, women don't take over and tell the men what to do. Why? Because then we're worshiping femininity and we're going to get to that Oedipal point where men don't get to have the responsibility, don't get to take the burden of the responsibility and what that means. And if you don't know what it means, you might want to check it out. It's an interesting rabbit hole to run down because it's important. But when we start worshiping the women and let them take over, then we have that Oedipal mother problem. People aren't getting the encouragement they need. So what I actually see here in these verses is God has called men to not be worshipped, but to take on the responsibility of encouraging and sending their children out to take risks and give them that encouragement and that confidence. Women have that ability to be, be empathetic and fix up the boo-boos. We cannot worship either one because if it goes too far either way, there's going to be big problems. But as we love each other and pray and make God the center, we move towards the center and we say, I'm not actually the one who is the ruler. I don't get to be a tyrant. I don't get to be the Oedipal mother tyrant. I don't get to be the devouring father tyrant. I have to let God be God. And then I'm not shaking my fist at my wife, who's my enemy, my kids who are my enemies, my dog, who's my enemy. Anyone who won't let me dominate them is my enemy, which is where dads go. And the women won't go to, I get to be in charge, and now everyone's going to be cared for by me, and I'm just going to keep everyone in the house for the rest of our lives. Does that, what does that feel like to you as you hear that idea? The, the thought that kept coming, or the word that kept coming up in my mind was compliment. Okay. 
the ideas of femininity and masculinity, not to the extremes, mm-hmm. but male and female complement each other. Yes. In their ideal states, they would complement each other, not compete against each other, not fight for who's the better, who's the better sex. Um, And I think it's important to, um, I don't know, I think about all the different parts of that. Like, are there certain things that that a male and a female could do comparably? Probably. But there's a lot of things they can't do comparably. Absolutely. And so, um, I think the acceptance of both sides of that are important. Absolutely. And that's what's heartbreaking to me. Like I said, I see so many women trying to be men. Mm -hmm. Why do you need that? Why is it that... (laughs) And once again, to me, as we worship femininity, then the women have to do all the things. And what's strange is you come back to you need the masculine and the feminine. You need both. And so if men are toxic and not allowed to fulfill their purpose, there are women who then become masculine. Not because it's good for them or good for society or good at all. It's worshiping femininity too far. And it's heartbreaking to me to see it. And once again, I've made my inner vows. I'm trying to stop my own suffering. I know exactly what it feels like. And what happens when I try to control my suffering. And I really believe that in a society where you're worshiping any of these things too far, you're going to cause more suffering than help. You're doing more harm than good because there's not space for the other side. But when we worship God, when our worship is correct and it's towards God, There is space for all of these good things. And there's also a recognition that this is where we limit it to, so we don't take it too far, so it starts causing problems. And once again, I thank God for, I thank God for homosexuality, I thank God for non-binary, I thank God for the equality movement, I thank God for feminism, I thank God for masculinism, I thank God for all of it, because it's our human attempts to worship things that don't, that can't hold our worship, and when it falls apart, God is so good that he draws us back to him. That's my worldview. That's how I see life and how things work, and what makes something valuable. Everything has value to a certain point, and when you take it past that point, it it loses its value and becomes a tyrant, and when you come closer and closer into God, There's a lot of things that we lose that we think go along with masculinity or femininity or any of these other beauty and the grotesque. um, How you wanted to say beauty and the beast. (laughs) Nice, yeah. Yeah, that's another way to look at it. The princess and the villain. There you go. All of those things. They have their proper place. And we don't value them too much and we don't value them too little, but there's space for all of it. And there's space for us to be what we were actually made to be. 
instead of trying to carry what we weren't supposed to carry and breaking ourselves from it. It's Jesus saying to us, are you tired? Are you exhausted? Have you been working so hard and still not getting where you're trying to go? Come to me. I will take your burden away from you. I will give you rest. How does he do that? He takes away our worship of, because I'm male, I need to be so super masculine. I need to worship masculine. When we give that up to God, when we give away that inner vow, I'll never get divorced. I'm going to control my relationships. When I give that up to God, man, I can rest. Because it's not up to me. I still have a responsibility to but I'm not responsible for the outcome. I have a responsibility to be the best husband I can be, to allow God to teach me how to be a man, how to be a good husband, how to be all the things that I need to be. And also recognize that he's the one who, God's the one who's going to give me the power and the strength to do that. So, and so when I'm weak, that doesn't mean I'm less of a man. Right. It means I'm honoring God. Go ahead, baby. What do you mean? I don't know. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> Having a moment. Uh, so, I loved your word complimentary. You're definitely, that's exactly what this is about. These are complimentary things, and none of us are God. So, we need to honor and believe that God has made space for exactly what He's called us to be. And only when we take it too far do we have. The problems that we see today. Mm-hmm. What else have you got, my love? Anything else stand out to you this morning? I was reminded. Um, so one of the things that I love about working for Redkin is that they've always been concerned about my personal well-being. Okay. Um, and I remember many years ago going to a hear a woman speak and her name is Ann Yancey and and somebody one time described her as an angel on earth and I remember years later I messaged her and I said you know somebody described you as that before I met you and I think they might be onto something (laughs) (laughs) anyway she was the first person in a work setting who ever spoke about our spirituality Mm -hmm. and ever spoke about God and I remember her describing all of our needs in life like spokes of a wheel Mm -hmm. and if any one of those were lacking you know our physical well-being our spiritual well-being all those things mental and emotional yeah yeah. that the wheel wouldn't roll properly Mm -hmm. and I don't know just as you're talking about this this is kind of what I'm envisioning it's like I'm getting you know, the spokes are getting pulled all to one side or the other, and, and really it's got to be that balance. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's it's difficult to face somebody who's polar opposite than you on a particular idea. Absolutely. It's very difficult. Um, you know, we, we want to be right, and we want to think that we're doing the right thing, and they're not. And... Um, I know for me, when I'm faced with that now, 
it makes me stop and think, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. There's a reason why I'm seeing this. You know, maybe I'm, maybe I'm digging in too much. If I'm seeing them dig in too much, maybe I'm digging in too much too. And there's got to be some kind of harmony here. It's one of the funniest things about how reality works and how God has created our reality. Oh my gosh. Opposites attract. <laughs> Why? Because as much as we don't like it, we need, we know there's something in us that knows that we need that person who is capable of doing what we struggle with the most. Because we know we're not ever going to be as good at it as they are. But we also get to bring, draw them away from worshiping that thing that they're good at. And coming into maturity is where, yeah, you're stuck with this person every day. That's what marriage is for. Now you're stuck with this person who's the opposite of you every day for the rest of your life. And you can either be right or you can have relationship. You can either decide that you're gonna get your way or you can decide you're gonna to die to yourself and grow in maturity and let go of all these things that you claim make you you and you're gonna have things inside of you sandpapered down, all these rough edges sandpapered down or you're gonna have some of your edges that are too smooth and kind of oily and slick strengthened and sharpened so that you can be all the things that you actually need to be when dealing with this world. It's a beautiful thing that marriage gives us. As, have you found that to be <laughs> the case <laughs> in your life? And tell us about it, my love. Talk some story. You and I are just so different backgrounds, different viewpoints, you know, uh, grew up with different worldviews. Um, the way we articulate things is very different. The way we interact with people is very different. Um, the things I see, you would never see on your own. But the things you see, I would never see. So I could easily make the argument that this isn't going to work out. Mm -hmm. um, because... You know, what hope is there? If you don't see what I see, what hope is there? But the thing is, is that instead, I relish that. I look to you for those things that I don't see. And it's tough to trust someone else or to even believe them. I know that we've been married for about five years now, and it's taken this entire time. For us to get to a point where we can say out loud, I don't understand what you're telling me, but I believe you. Tell me about that. So, for a long time I've spent um, in my life trying to understand. You know, that was my mission, was to understand why people did what they did and oh, they must be doing that and, you know, recognizing those type of patterns, mm -hmm. interrelational patterns, mm -hmm. uh, not realizing that those were tied to a personal vow that I had. Mm. I didn't want to be hurt, so I would 
seem to understand. And let's face it, I don't understand everything you say. At all. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, but I believe you. Mm. What did it take for you to get to that place? I had to I had to recognize that I had that inner vow. Mm. So the inner vow was if I can understand people, mm -hmm. then I will be able to protect myself or know when they're going to hurt me. Is yeah. that something along those lines? Yeah, something along those Okay. And, and so, so worshiping the understanding of people's actions. Right. Okay. Or people's intentions. Yeah. Okay. Really just trying to limit my own suffering. Mm. Like preemptive strike. Sure. <laughs> um, and then, yeah. So what... What happens? You have this vow. You you are worshiping your own understanding, mm -hmm. and I mean, I'm guessing that that's been a vow you made when you were pretty young. Yeah. How did that play out in your relationships? How has that played out in your life? Did uh, it did it actually stop you from having suffering? No. <laughs> okay. It just encouraged a different kind of suffering. Ooh, all right. So instead, I developed like serious social anxiety. Oh. Um, a distrust, a general distrust of people. Um, I was kind to people, mm -hmm. but I rarely let them into my inner circle. Uh, never, pretty much. Okay. And um, it was lonely. I felt like I was in control, but it was lonely. Mm. I could be in a room full of people who I knew loved me and feel alone. Oh, wow. That's tough. Mm -hmm. It's a heartbreaking place to be. Mm -hmm. And when I couldn't understand, or I did get hurt, then I would turn it into myself. Mm -hmm. I wasn't smart enough, or I wasn't strong enough, or I just need to work harder at this. Mm -hmm. That's heartbreaking. So then I would do it even more. Right. And so I would just end up in this catch-22. It's an endless spiral of, if I could just understand more, ooh, I'm hurt because I don't understand enough. Uh -huh. And then it just keeps going like that, yeah. And I didn't want anybody to know that I didn't understand things. Mm -hmm. So often I would just agree, oh yeah, I understand. Because maybe I understand one little part of the concept, but um, I didn't. Interesting. So did you feel confident in relationships? No. And yet, what did people say about you? Did they claim that you were, that you were, you know, you seemed like you didn't know what was going on? Or no. What did they say about you? That I was cocky. That you were cocky. Fascinating. Okay. That no, was not how I felt. Not at all. So this inner vow is causing you to interact with the world in a certain way. And it's coming from this fear mm -hmm. and so this lack of confidence. And yet when people saw your, your actions, they thought that you were being arrogant or cocky. Mm -hmm. Wow. That seems to be how inner vows work. Yeah. And I'd be, I was called, I've been called out for that quite a few times. 
and I would be so hurt by it because that is not at all how I felt. I was scared. What were you scared of? Rejection. Mm-hmm. Disappointment. Sadness. Sometimes scared of physical abuse. Mm -hmm. All of the above. And yet, worshiping understanding just wasn't working out. Mm. Okay. So, no. go ahead. What in our relationship has caused you to decide to do things differently? Moving towards God has moved us towards each other. Because mm -hmm. um, if I just wanted to move towards you, that <laughs> that didn't work out so well. That's how things were in the beginning. I wanted to move towards you. Mm -hmm. And the more I struggled with moving towards you, the more you backed up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I felt like we did this dance that was not complimentary to each other. Mm -hmm. Stepping on each other's toes for who was responsible for what, and, and we don't agree on ideas, so getting frustrated with the other person because they didn't, they don't see what you see, no matter how many times you tell them, or how loud or how slow you say it. <laughs> um, you know, I think we each conjured up ideas about why the other person did what they did. Sure. Um, and it would have really been easier in the short term mm -hmm. to just bail, to just leave. Um, but because I chose to center my life on God, that we became closer. And you had the strength to not leave. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely a very human thing to do and a very immature person thing to do to just, when it gets tough, when it starts hurting, just get out of there. Don't get me wrong. There are, there are legitimate times to go. Sure there are. Absolutely. Um, but... There's a reality that even if you are mature enough to stay and do the right things and give up some of your way, but also hold boundaries so that you hold on to the responsibilities that you are responsible for, yes. the other person may be addicted to something. They may just be addicted to being right. I mean, we love the TV show house because he gets away with being right, mm -hmm. but that doesn't mean relationships work out for the guy. And so... Doesn't mean he doesn't suffer either. Right, and he definitely suffers. And so we see this play out in almost every story that we watch. There's someone who's holding on to being right and they're not happy. Mm -hmm. And either they give up that being right and they get to have relationships and the connection, or they don't and it's just painful to watch, it's tragic. I think sometimes you just have to give up the year wrong. Like, saying you're wrong to someone else? Yes, because sometimes we don't recognize that we're trying to just say, I'm right. Mm -hmm. 
So sometimes it might look like I need to let go of the you're wrong. Mm. Yeah, good. That's the converse. If I'm saying I'm right, but I don't want to say that out loud, then I can just say, well, you're wrong. Because the person can be wrong in a million different ways. And that doesn't necessarily mean I'm right. But it means I'm right about them being wrong. So, <laughs> yeah, still definitely holding on to me being right. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so we got to a point where we said, I don't understand you, but I believe you. How, how did that transition happen for you? How did you... I mean, you said that it's about following God. It's about looking to God instead of your own way. And so obviously there's dying to yourself there. Instead of saying you're wrong or instead of saying I'm right, there's I don't understand, but I believe you. How can you, how can you make that statement? How can you make the statement I don't understand, but I believe you? What comes to mind is it's a choice. Okay. But it, it can't be an easy choice. You said you had a vow to understand. Yeah. So it's just a choice. I'm just going to wake up one day and say, you know what? I don't want eggs for breakfast. I want cereal. And it's that easy? You just have cereal? It's not cereal. easy. No, it's not. Okay. I, I it's okay. I don't know how to explain it. It's okay. I'm just asking you for the process that you went through. What what happened? What what was it? And maybe you've answered the best you can. You started moving towards God, and that allowed you to stop worshiping, understanding. I know that the first part of it was just acknowledging that that I was worshiping that, but there was an inner vow. I I first had like any addiction. Mm -hmm. It's not a conscious outward thing. Uh, and it's those intervals are always wrapped up in something good. Yeah. It's just a little bit skewed. Yeah. Um, and so I just I had to acknowledge that that was there. And then once I acknowledged it, then I guess I could see how it had played out in my life. Um, and that it wasn't serving me or anyone around me well. You had to admit that it existed. Mm -hmm. Put your faith in a higher power. <laughs> this sounds like the 12 steps. <laughs> admit that you were helpless to change it on your own. Oh, yeah, that was a rough one. That's, that's one I work on still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. Acknowledging that it's a daily process. It's not... You just make a choice and you do it. Right. Like that's just human willpower. And if we could human willpower our way, man. <laughs> I had to let go of the ideas that I was supposed to be happy. Ooh, wow. I was supposed to be anything. Mm. No, I'm, I'm supposed to feel this way. Okay. Um, and then... Once I could let go of that, then I had to let go of the, but you did this so you don't get to feel that way. Or you don't get mm -hmm. to behave on that feeling. You don't, like, what? What do you, 
That's what I hated for people to say to me. <laughs> so there were these, if I'm understanding you, and this is the way I, the terminology I use, there was a lie in your head that said, if you act this way, you don't deserve to be loved. Or if you do this thing, you don't deserve to, to have relationships. Or if you don't understand, then you're going to get hurt. Or all of these lies were there. Okay. And so as you worshiped God instead of your own understanding or your own ability or your own femininity or whatever society was telling you to worship or some lie in your head was telling you was going to save you from suffering, you moved further into what? Well, once I could accept that there will be suffering. Mm. Okay. Not that sh I shouldn't feel like that, but there will be suffering. It allowed space to be able to trust people. It, it took the burden of and the weight off of my shoulders mm. that was there unnecessarily. I got you. So, I mean, is trust something that I work on on the daily? Absolutely. I spent a lifetime not trusting most people or any people. So are there still habits you fall into of that are con control issues based on trust? Oh yeah, oh yeah. What do you do when that happens? Uh, again, the first thing I have to do is acknowledge it. Mm -hmm. And then? Um, uh, also acknowledge what I'm feeling. Mm. Because I would suppress parts of that. Ah, uh, okay. So you wouldn't acknowledge what was going on and you wouldn't acknowledge how you felt about it? No. Okay. I remember when we first started dating and that moment that I realized... Uh-oh, I've caught some feelings here. <laughs> I literally sat at home and did like this whole chant to myself. We are not doing this. We are not having a relationship. We are not good at that. We don't, we're not doing this. Uh, don't be stupid. This is not for you. Yeah, ridiculous. Catching feelings. Okay. Yeah. So keep going. What? It's... Is it like giving up an addiction? Oh, God, yes. Tell me about that. Because my... I will catch myself sometimes mid-urge to want to argue. And then I think about, well, what am I arguing about? And it's not that I'm giving up my position. It's, what are we arguing about? Are we even arguing about the same thing? <laughs> Likely for you and I, we are not. Yeah. <laughs> we are not. <laughs> I think we're on one discussion, he thinks we're on another, and we're both talking at each other, but we are not saying the same language at all. <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> right? My understandings are not yours, and yours are not mine. And I value you. Not to carry it all, but I value you as a person.
So it's difficult. It's daily. Um, acknowledging that you're falling into the same habits, the same worship of your own understanding, the same worship of these other different things that we're going to hopefully protect you, but you figured out they don't. It doesn't protect you. Yeah. And then what do you do? Do you just on your own? Okay, I've acknowledged it, so now by a, by the strength of my own will, <laughs> I'm going to... No, he man, that's not how it works. <laughs> um, no, I have to pray about it, and I have to ask for God's help all the time, multiple times a day, because on my own I can't change anything. Mm. If you don't believe me, try to go on a diet for the rest of your life. <laughs> You're right. If you don't believe me, try to change any behavior. It takes work and it's painful. And I'm concerned with that, the way you just said that. It takes work. I, I agree, it takes work. Meaning there are things that I have to do I have to pray about it. Yes. What is the work? The work is doing, well, one thing is doing something different than I've always done. But you, you've already admitted you the can't. The work is letting go of it. Ah. So by praying, you let go of control to God. Yeah. That's what you're telling me? That's what I'm telling you. Can you, can you actually say it out loud? Because I don't want to put words in your mouth. I want you to say it out loud and say this is true or this is false. So the work is letting go of it and giving it to God, believing that he exists and he will make all things for good. Okay, is that true or that false? Is, that is true. Okay. So it's not willpower. It's not self-help. It's not, it's actually trusting God. Okay, so tell me more. Thank You're doing you. great. You're doing great. And I really appreciate you being willing to admit all of this. I'm full right now. Okay. All right. Well, that brings us to the last verses in the chapter, which are, This salvation only comes to those who continue in faith, love, and holiness, gathering it all into maturity. And that's what we're going for, maturity. This world tells us to be immature. It tells us to be self-serving. It tells us to pursue self-help. And none of that stuff works. So we continue in faith, love, and holiness, gathering it all into maturity. It went, it's so hard. Oh, it's so hard because I want my willpower to get me the American dream, to get me the house with the picket fence, with the 2.5 kids and the dog, with the spouse who's everything that I ever hoped. And then I also want to worship the same things that culture worship is, worships and get a good result. And that never works out. So yeah, there's, there's a lot going on there. I really appreciate you, my love. Thank you for being here with me and for having these conversations. I know it's a lot and it can be difficult. I really appreciate that you're willing to admit what really happens in life and how your inner vows have, have caused you damage and caused other people damage. 
Um, I also have been admitting my my inner vows and check out the podcast. You can listen to past episodes and hear about that. Um, and maybe let us know. Let us know what inner vows are you dealing with? What is it that maybe you're worshiping or, or think is the most important thing and it's just not saving you. It's not giving you everything that you need. Or even better, for those of you who are mature out there, maybe for those of you who are have good self-discipline, you can tell us about some of the things that are working out really well for you. The ways that God is is holding you within the circle so you're not worshiping these things that are taking it too far. We'd love to hear about that as well. Um, and, hey, maybe some of you have discipline. You actually have too much discipline and you're worshiping that discipline and you're not having any fun. So <laughs> let us know all of it exists and it's all part of this human experience. We love you. We're grateful to have you here with us. And once again, let us know what's going on by follow and subscribe on Twitch to chat with us. Like, comment, and subscribe on YouTube and wherever you get your podcast from. Thank you for joining us on this adventure. Much love, tell the adventures. Explore.